but you are responsible for the physical safety of your of your family. The question is, can you do it? Mm. And if the answer is no, well, then you need to go. You need to go figure out how to do it. Hey, friends! Welcome to the Victor Marks Podcast with Victor Marks, founder of All Things Possible Ministries. Welcome to the show where we bring you real conversations faced with life's hard truths, stories of redemption, and the latest from the front lines. Whether you're on the road, getting your day started, or finally settling in, we've got an exciting new episode planned for you. So let's dive in to today's show. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Victor Marks Show. I have got a, a new friend, someone that I respect uh, and have followed and met through well, Instagram on social media. Nick Freitas, he's, uh, gosh, he's over a quarter million followers. If you haven't, check this dude out. I highly recommend it. Nick is a husband, father, uh, former Green Beret. He's a combat vet and uh, definitely involved in the political scene. <laughs> and I appreciate him coming on. I would say this, folks, and Nick, this is what I tell people. I, I, I watch your stuff. And I look at you and I go, if I was younger, better looking, smarter, and a tad bit tougher, uh, I, I think that would be you. Welcome <laughs> to the program, brother. I, I appreciate it. That's about as nice an intro as I think I've ever received. <laughs> <laughs> or, as, or as I like to say, my uh, uh, it was a very nice intro. Uh, my father would have enjoyed it. My mother would have believed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I just did a men's event out in North Carolina out your way on the East coast this past weekend. And after that introduction, I was, you know, almost stage. I'm like, gosh, I, I actually have to live up to that now. That's, <laughs> uh, but Hey man, thanks for coming on the program. Uh, let's start with your background. Sure. Why didn't well, you, why didn't you join the Marines? Well, I, I could read, I could write. They just, they weren't interested in me. <laughs> Tell the truth. Tell the truth. You couldn't so, handle crayons. You, yeah. You, you well, didn't. the taste is just horrible, as you know. I mean. <laughs> yeah. Well, it depends on what color. I'm yeah. fond of red. Uh, when I'm living on the edge. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, you, uh, you joined the Army uh, right out of high school. Uh, yeah. And then like most young men back in our day. And then after 9-11, everything happened. You volunteered to go the SF route and become a Green Beret. Why? Yeah. Well, I, so I'd, I'd been in the 82nd Airborne. That was my first unit. And then we had just gotten over to Hawaii, and like three months later, 9-11 happened. Mm. And, um, and I can remember watching the news, and one of the first, uh, one of the first instances where we lost a, a – a lot of guys all at once was that helicopter crash with the Rangers that were going in to, to get out of seal. Yeah. And on that helicopter, I had one guy, uh, you know, Bradley Crows, who I went to basic training with. And then Mark Anderson, mm. who I'd went to Ranger school with, um, were both died on that flight. Mm. And I remember talking to my wife at the time and, uh, and we had, we had almost prior to nine 11, when I was still at the 82nd, I was going to get out and go be a cop. My dad was a cop. I was going to go be a cop because it was peacetime army and there was there just wasn't a whole lot going on. And then when 9/11 happened, I was like, "Well, I'm staying in now." And then when that happened over when that happened over in Afghanistan, um, I told Tina at that point, "I'm like, look, I I, I want to go with one of these units." And I was really impressed with with what Special Forces was doing. I mean, there weren't a, there weren't a lot of young infantry guys, right? Tabbed infantry guys watching, you know, Green Berets right. on horseback that right. weren't pretty impressed by that. And so um, that was the route I decided to go. And um, 
ended up with first special forces group and then uh, went over to Iraq with uh, our, our a team, what better known as an ODA in 2006. And then again in 2008, there's a lot of guys who signed up, didn't see combat, came back frustrated. What would you tell them? <laughs> I, I mean, I honestly, like I, I get it. I really do. Like I, my neighbor, uh, my neighbor was in the service and uh, served in Ranger regiment for a while and it was one of those things where by the time 9-11 rolled around and there was all these combat tours, he was in the reserves. His reserves never got called up. He was looking for ways to do it. And he always felt like something was missing or he hadn't accomplished something because he had gone overseas. And um, and he was really instrumental in my life and in getting – we were neighbors and instrumental in getting me like back into church and recognizing like my responsibility as, as kind of a, a husband and a father and the spiritual head of the household and all that. And, you know, I remember telling him like, Anthony – Man, I, for what it's worth, um, you know, I'm NSF. I've been to combat. I'd, I'd go to combat with you any day. Um, but God has us in the place he's going to have us at the time he's going to have us there. And I, I can understand the frustration, and I can understand almost the sense of, like, you know, re- regret on something you didn't get to do. I have that about certain things. And then every once in a while, I just got to sit back and remember, like, okay, well, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's like, Anthony, it's not like you weren't willing. It's not like you backed out of a deployment, right? You were looking for one. It didn't happen. God has a reason for that. You're either going to trust him in that moment or you're not. That's and good. that was easy for me to say at that time because I'd, I'd got to go overseas and do that. But then, believe me, there was other, other moments in my life where I was like, okay, God, I don't know what you're doing right now, and I really don't know why you're doing it. But, you know, I've heard this before. I've, I've given advice to other people before. We've told our kids what we believe. Now's the time to demonstrate it. So I I would just say if if we're, if we're too focused on our plans, a lot of times uh, you get too focused on your plans and God will let you carry them out. And it is never as good as what he's got. So that's good. You know, I I tell folks, uh, me and my chief of operations who was with CAG for 10 years, uh, Colonel Teagues, and he was enlisted. He was a ranger, um, and then when SF and then it was, you know, it was meant for him to be a Delta force. We, we were walking through an airport one time and a guy saw my dog and we start talking and, and then he, he says something about, Oh yeah, yeah. You know, I was, I was in and he goes, but I never went, I mean, I never went outside the wire. I always stayed in the fob. And, but he said it was like, I'm less than, because I never did, you know, my response was, Hey man, you raised your hand. You raised your hand. You, you, you took the oath. You're willing to fight. You're trained to fight. You're willing to die for what you believe. That's what matters. Uh, and Teague's, Teague's let him up a little bit more, you know, just by saying, don't ever diminish your role because yeah. it's, it's not the door kickers or, you know, shooting somebody that makes a difference. It's it's the whole team. It's the it's everybody doing their job, running in their lane, right? Um, and I I think it's such good advice for men even now, because uh, in our country, men are looking young men. They're they're looking for something, a mission in life. I currently can't tell them with clear conviction. Hey, you ought to jump in the military because uh, a lot of factors. And uh, if God's leading them, okay. But wherever God has you, man, flourish, push through, do your very best 
because uh, young men are needed these days. I served, uh, people ask me, was that in the Iraq war? I go, no, but I've been 16 times to Iraq. And it started when I was, I think, 49. And I still have a house in Iraq uh, because of the ministry that we do. But I served in the Marine Corps under President Reagan in the 80s. Um, and But I say, look, the leadership training I got then, it still worked for me all the way as someone in their 50s doing the deal, facing ISIS, getting shot at, having to shoot, moving, scoot, and, you know, doing what we were doing, recovering women and children. Wow. And it's uh, – it's it's important for young men listening right now to find someone that you respect, listen to their counsel, older guys, and uh, then push and train hard, embrace hardship, because what you need, and it's not talked about often, but is resiliency. What mm-hmm. would you say to yeah. that? How does a young man develop resiliency in a very marshmallow, soft world? It, it, the bottom line is there's adversity out there. It, it's a question of whether or not you're you're shirking your responsibility, or you're hiding from adversity, or you're recognizing that one of the roles of a man, and I think God just put this into us, is that it, it, it's to go out there and confront dangerous, dangerous situations in order to make it safe. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's uh, it's amazing. You know, you're talking about the mission that you're doing over in Iraq. I got a friend of mine, Dave Eubank, with uh, Free Burma Rangers, and. Uh, I remember, I remember asking Dave once when he was, this was before Iraq, it was when he was still, he was, he's still doing the work in Burma, but at that point, he had his wife and his kids out there, and his kids were pretty, kids were pretty little. Um, I think he had two daughters and a son, if I remember correctly. Yep. Um, and talking to Dave, and I remember we're, we're sitting there, I'm like, Dave, look, I get it. You were a Ranger back guy, um, you know, detailed to SF, you, you've done this stuff. I, I get, I get how you do it. I, I even get maybe to to a degree, you know, your wife wanted to do it. Hey, she's a grown woman. She can, but how do man? How do you how do you do it with your kids too? And he said, Nick, my family has made a decision that we are not we are not going to have our decisions dictated to us by a quest for comfort or fear. And man, that just stuck with me because he he was on mission. He had a mission. He knew we was he knew he was where. God had him. He knew he had his family where, where God had him. And he was going to go do it. And he was going to go faithfully do it. And that's just, that's really impressive to me. And, and the reason why I bring it up in part is because, again, his kids were doing this stuff at a, at a fairly young age. Now, he wasn't doing anything like grossly irresponsible. It's not like he was throwing his kids into, you know, combat or something like that. But they were having experiences and learning an appreciation for living out their faith in a dangerous circumstance in a way that most Americans simply can't relate to. We, we've grown up in relative peace, prosperity, security. Now, obviously, there's exceptions to that rule. There's people that have had personal experiences. There's people that grew up in, in bad neighborhoods or in bad families. I mean, like, you know that. We know this. Yep. But there's a lot of other, I, I think you said it right, there's a lot of other men out there looking for a mission. And and there's, there's this idea, this whole idea of, like, toxic masculinity, where they've essentially taken certain traits that that have a negative application of they turn the entire trait into toxic. You know, being aggressive, you know, being able being able to engage in violent behavior if necessary, that's not toxic. What makes it toxic is who you apply it toward. Right? You should be dangerous because you need to be able to protect the people. Because dangerous people that have have ill intent are not afraid of weak people 
simply because you're soft and you pose no threat to them. And so I, I think it's about understanding that in, in everybody's life, there's, there's certain adversity that will come up. And then there's, there's other mission sets that you can choose. It may be in the mission field. It may be in the military. It may be in law enforcement. It may be as a first responder. It may be in something else. But yeah. the question is, is that are, are you going to develop yourself and allow yourself and train yourself in order to be equipped to deal with those dangerous situations? Maybe not as a career, but I, I think it starts with men understanding that regardless of what you choose to do with your life, and I think this is especially true once you get married, once you have kids, you are responsible for their physical safety. Mm. Not just their physical safety. you got to provide. You need to be the spiritual head of your household. You need to do all those things. But you are responsible for the physical safety of your, of your family. The question is, can you do it? Mm. And if the answer is no, well, then you need to go, you need to go figure out how to do it. I, I had, a, I had a, a kid that came up to me. I'd, I'd known his parents. We'd known him for a while. He goes, you know, Mr. Freitas, I want to be in the military. I said, well, what do you want to do? And he goes, well, I, I think I want to be a Green Beret. And I, right off the bat, I'm like, man, your mom's going to kill me. <laughs> your mom's going to kill me. You go BSF. I'm going to get blamed right. for this. But I remember right. asking him, I said, you know, teenage boy, been in sports the whole deal. I remember asking him, I said, have you ever been punched in the face? Mm. Mm. And he goes, no. I said, all right. Stand by. Meet me over at the gym on, until we're going we're gonna to go through this. And he's like, really? I said, yeah, because yeah. it's going to happen to you, and I don't want the first time it happens to you to be in a dangerous situation. I want you to, I want you to, and we walk, we work through and we developed, you know, grappling and self-defense and, and fighting and doing all of this. But there's this idea that we've always got to, you know, protect people from adversity or protect people from, uh, from danger. You can't do it. It is going to come along at some point in your life. The only question is, is are you going to be ready for it? Are you going to be prepared for it? And then as a man, I would argue you have an additional responsibility because it's not just going to be about defending you. It's going to be about defending your wife. It's going to be about defending your children. It's going to be about defending maybe others, someone else that can't defend themselves. And when you embrace that and you actually develop the necessary skill sets to address it, that, that builds confidence, which leads to that resiliency, to where when you, do get, when you do get hit down, your immediate response is not to lay there or to run away. It's to understand that life's not always going to be fair. Bad things are going to happen, and your job is to get up and do something about it. Yeah, good copy on all. I this is these are nuggets for young men and probably some older men listening and i would think and say on the converse there are some young men who look at this challenge and they say i just can't do it i don't have a dad to lead me through it and they start to drift toward being passive and some drift hard to being kind of extreme fem feminine mm -hmm. to where it's just their way out, but maybe even in the deepest part of them, they really want it to be a strong man. And I'll come back to that, but uh, I smile when you talk about that fella named Dave Eubank. Yeah. Um, and folks, listen, if you've never seen the movie Free Burma Rangers, both of us highly recommend it. Absolutely. Uh, it's being streamed. And it is, it's incredible. But in the movie and then his book, Dave Eubank talks about a fella that brought him from an operation he was on in Burma into China, then into Iraq for his first time in mission in Iraq. Guess who that guy was? Me. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's great. I, I knew you'd get a kick. 
that yeah. started it that started it all and of course dave like you sf dudes i'll never forget you know he he's uh he comes it was him and peter and then we added but i'll never forget he's like hey are you gonna use this room in your house i was like no he goes yeah can i put some gear in there then you know six months later hey the upstairs room total sf <laughs> You know, t- next thing I knew, I literally said, hey, Dave, how about you keep this safe house, yeah. run it as your HQ. I'll just go get another one. He's like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, pretty sure. Since you've got maps and tacticals and everything set up on the walls. So, yeah, Dave is as close as a brother to me. Uh, we've done stuff in Burma together. And then many, many, uh, much activity in uh, Iraq, and in his yeah. film, I, I'm the quiet guy, never seldom seen. Uh, yeah. But it's a, it's a, yeah, we've, yeah, we've. And it's a small world, <laughs> very small world. Yeah. So yeah, I, uh, yeah, actually, I was just with him two weeks ago. He came here to Colorado, and uh, we spent some time together. Um, him and his family love them. I'm an uncle yeah. to the kids. Amazing, amazing kids. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so so, so that's one thing. Men, young men. Uh, the next thing is girls. This is what I hear from young ladies all the time. Where are the men? Mm-hmm. Where are the guys we can date? Mm-hmm. Um, now, you have kids. I've got five. Three are daughters. Two are sons. Two of my daughters are married. I got uh, one who's not, but uh, whoever wins her hand will pass the muster. I guarantee on to you. <laughs> but I'm a grandfather. I don't think you're there yet. And yet. Uh, grandfather to four granddaughters, and we just found out there's we got another granddaughter on the way. Oh wow! Right. So <laughs> of course this makes me lean heavily toward we got to raise. Man, we, we have to change the tide. We've got to, you know, my my approach, and I have a book coming out called The Dangerous Gentleman, and I think that's what we need to get back to. You embody that because of what you've lived, how you were raised. and um, But, yeah, young women out there, I would say this to the gals listening. If you're a single, don't compromise your values to try to get a dude. Yeah. It, it, it's uh, if sex is what got and kept the dude, then prostitutes would be uh, the most sought after women for wives, yeah. and we all know they're not. And I don't say that with any, you know, harsh judgment because yeah. we rescue and recover lots of gals. Uh, and my father was a pimp at one time in his life, but I say it to say, gals, you're worth waiting for. Yeah. You're 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 worth being honored in that way and learn to be patient. Pray. Pray for your future husband. Yeah. Uh that's something I think a lot of people it requires faith, but it but I think it does work. What would you say to young gals out there? Well, I, I've got yeah, I've got two daughters and a son. I, my oldest daughter just turned twenty. Uh my son's seventeen and my youngest daughter's fourteen. And I, I remember I remember when my, my oldest daughter was like in fifth grade and this little boy liked her at school or whatnot. 
And she told him that, well, I'm not allowed to, you know, have a boyfriend or whatnot. Because that was our rule. Our rule is you don't date until you're 18 because there's no, what's the purpose? The purpose of right. dating is finding someone that you're going to marry. And a lot of people look at that and think, well, that's ridiculous. Your, your kids aren't actually going to do that. Like, really? Because, okay, I've got one that's 20 and she's done it. I've got one that's 17. He's done it. I got one that's 14. Right. She's done it so far. So no, what, what it is, is, is that when you, when you, when you take the time to reinforce healthy relationships in your child's life, and they have the promise that they have the ability to have that healthy relationship. The question is, okay, how do you get that? And two things that I always know, and I, and I, and I, tell, I tell guys this all the time. Um, if you're telling your daughters that, oh, my gosh, she better be home by 10 and I'll kill anybody that touches her and you better do this and you better do that. And then you look at your son and you're like, hey, go have a good time, buddy. Right, right. What you said was you, you, you set up a double standard. And whenever you do that, what you've done is you've turned your son into the sort of man or the sort of guy that you're telling your daughter to avoid. And then you've told your daughter that the rules don't really matter. And quite frankly, they're a little bit sexist. That's good. When in reality, you should be telling both of them, look, God has somebody for you, right? I, I, I firmly believe God has somebody for you. I agree. The, the question is, and, and I, I remember telling my kids this at a relatively you know, young age when they're old enough to understand, I was like, you know, it, it, it's fine to get the butterflies and, and everything else when somebody likes you and, and whatnot. But if you're not prepared to seriously consider somebody, then you're either playing with their heart or you're letting them play with yours. And then the other thing you want to ask yourself is how much do you, when you meet that person that you are just in love with, like, you know, this is the one God has put in your life that you're going to build a family with. How much do you want to have to explain to them? How much do you want to have to explain to that person that you absolutely love with everything inside you because you want to do all this stuff with these other people that you didn't really care about? Do you want to have that conversation? How long do you want it to be? Yeah. And, and I didn't say that. Good. And I don't say that because people can't like, you know, make different decisions younger in life and then, you yeah. know, come around. I'm not saying that it's just that I'm responsible for, for educating and raising my kids in a way that's going to set them up for the most success possible. And this is another thing parents do all the time that drives me nuts. I would have parents look at me and be like, wow, you don't let your kids do this. You don't let your kids do that. Um, was that your rule growing up for you? I'm like, no. But like, don't you think that's hypocritical? A, no. And B, I don't care. My no. job, my job is not to push my kids into all the stupid decisions I might have made. Yeah. My job is to use my experience in order to help them navigate around those things in order to make better decisions for themselves. That doesn't mean, you know, they don't face any sort of challenges or hardships or what. No, what it means is that when you have something that's a, a moral a, a moral issue, you you help them navigate that so that they aren't carrying baggage into future relationships. So they aren't doing that sort of thing. And I can agree with you more when I when I look at um, you know, when I talk to my daughters or when I I had this video I did on on you know, social media that went kind of viral. It's, it's at this point, it's got about 50 million views. And it was just three things I learned about raising daughters. And what I did is I told people, I said, when I found out when my, when my wife and I found out that she was pregnant with our first daughter, I went to two people to ask advice. The first one was my wife because she's a woman and I figured she knows some stuff. The, the second person was the biggest dog I served with in the military. I mean, this guy would go out to the bar every night and make separate rounds. And I remember going up to him and I said, how do I, how do I protect my daughter from someone like you? You, yep. And what he said, and he, good sport, what he said was, he goes, look, he goes, tell your daughter you love her because if you don't, someone who doesn't will and she will believe him. 
Mm. I said, and that taught me three things with my girls. I said, to, to make sure that I told my girls I loved them and to make sure that was reflected in my actions, to make sure that my girls knew that they could always come to daddy. They could always talk to daddy. I never wanted to create this relationship of like, oh, I can't, I can't tell. No, no, you can always come to me. You can always come to your father. Um, you know, and, and then I kind of joked that, and I also taught him how to shoot just in case, right? Right. <laughs> but, it, but, it was, but it was the idea that, that demonstrating that, um, that, that, that they knew I loved them, that they could always tell me the truth, and that I would always tell them the truth, mm. Uh, mm. created an environment where they had a certain expectation for what love, honor, and respect meant. And, and the second part of that that I, I did in a different video later is like, and I also tried to, I always try to remember too that, you know, loving, honoring, and respecting my wife is not just something that I do because God requires it. It's not just something I do because she deserves it. It's also something I do because my kids are watching. And my, my son, my little girls, they're going to, they're going to develop in their minds, whether I say it or not, they're going to develop in their minds an, a reasonable expectation for what relationships look like based off of how I treat their mother. Dad setting a standard. Yeah. Dad setting a standard. I, you know what you said about people would say, well, did you do this when you were a kid? This is what I tell parents. You're not a hypocrite if you still don't do it. I mean, yeah. if, if you're a single mom sleeping around, and then you tell your daughter, don't sleep around. Well, you are a hypocrite. Yeah. And believe yeah. me, what you say will have no value. And and we've seen that with girls that we helped and where they come from. And I'm like, my gosh, come on. Uh, but it's so important that parents understand the role and the influence that they have. Even when you think your kids hate you. This is yeah. the number one thing I say to young people. Uh and it's normally in public, and I go, "Hey, is that your? That's so. That's your dad, or that's your mom?" Yeah, I said. Then here's the most important thing I can tell you: trust them when you least agree with them. Mm. Trust them in those moments that you least agree with them, because they've been through the minefield, and they'll they know how to get you through it. Yeah, you're not always going to agree with your parent, nor should you, because you're growing up. But but when when you're just so upset and go, I just tell them I don't agree with you. But I remember Mr. Mark said something about I just gotta trust you. Cause very yeah. soon you'll be out there on your own making yeah. it and well, uh Yeah. I, I think we I think we also have something of a crisis though with Christian parenting in this country. because um, I, I run into one of the things that, that I do is I talk a little bit about what's going on within our schooling system because I actually I sit on the education committee in the Virginia House of Delegates. Wow. And so I, I like to inform parents like, hey, this is what's going on. You know, you need to, you need to mm. understand what the environment your kids are going into. And one of the things that I caution them on, I said, but when your kids come to you with hard questions and to include hard questions, you don't know the answer to. If you get upset with them or if you just if your only response is that's not the way we raised you. After a yeah. while, they're going to stop going to you with the questions yeah. and they're going to go to somebody else. And you don't know what the other person is going to tell them because that other person probably doesn't love for them or care for them the way you do. Mm. And, and the other thing that I think is just absolutely critical with kind of like a biblical worldview when it comes to raising kids is if, if you are the only authority, right, if, if your kids have to do what you say because you said so, now, I'm not talking about two-year-old and three-year-old. They, they can't you know, comprehend the discussion. But when they start to get a little older and they have that basic comprehension, if the only thing that you're teaching them is do what I say because I said so. 
and then there's punishment or reward based off of what you say. What you're, you're not teaching them values. Right. You're teaching them right. an arbitrary adherence to authority. And when all of a sudden you're not the authority anymore, when it's the college professor, when it's the boss, when it's somebody else. Well, that's good. That's really all good. All they're going to remember is there's rewards for obeying authority and there's punishments for opposing it. And so one one of the things that, you know, again, there by, by the grace of God go I because we definitely made my I mean, we definitely made mistakes with this, but it was something that we were able to learn fairly early on was that, you know, the scripture and God, that's the standard for right and wrong. Yes. My authority, my authority right. doesn't me saying it's right and wrong is not based off of my authority. Right. It's it's based off of God's authority. And so my job and my responsibility, and my wife's responsibility was to guide them in that. And but here's the toughest part, and every parent's gonna every parent's gonna experience this at some point. This is the toughest part. It's so critical. I will never forget the day when my oldest daughter, I think she's about fourteen, she knocks on my door and she goes, Daddy, can I talk to you? Yes, sweetheart, what's up? She goes, I don't think you handled something very well. Mm. Now, every ounce of me wanted to be like, oh, oh, you don't now. You don't think I handled something right. very well. Oh, okay, well, good deal. Because last time I checked, you're living in my house, eating my food, like all that stuff, right? But she was, she was respectful. Mm. And so I, mm. I, I stopped that initial, like, you know, <laughs> you know kind of alpha, alpha male, yeah. like, what, who are you talking to? It's like, yeah. okay, go, go ahead, sweetheart. What, what do you mean? She goes, well, daddy, when you got home, you, you came into the kitchen, you saw that Luke and Allie had, had messed something up, and you got mad at them. She goes, but you didn't ask them why they were doing it. They were actually trying to do something for you, Ooh. and you got mad at them, and so they just stopped and cleaned it up. But that was the other half of it, and, and you didn't find out why wow. they were doing it before you got And in that moment, you're realizing, like, oh, my gosh, she is right. I am wrong. I don't want to admit it. <laughs> right? right. Yeah. But – but I can remember, I can remember like, okay, and Tina's always reminded me of this, like, all right, did, did you pray before you responded? And I was like, you know what? In this moment, there, there's a much bigger lesson at play here because in this moment, if I get upset with her, if I kick her out and I say, well, hey, look, they shouldn't have done it, they should have asked me, if I do any of that, what I've just taught her is that the things that I've been telling her to do and model her life after don't apply to me. I'm the authority figure. Mm. And then there's no universality with it, right? Then it's, then it's not, it's not a, a good moral principles that God has given us that, that mold all of our lives. No, no, it's just an arbitrary rule I'm imposing on her. But if in this moment I can swallow my pride and yeah. say, you know what, sweetheart? You're right. Daddy's wrong. I appreciate you bringing this to me, and I'm, I'll go, I'm going to go say sorry to Luke and Allie. In that moment, what, what I will have demonstrated to her is that the rules that I have the obligation as the head of the household to enforce also apply to me because none mm. of us are above God's law. And at that point, she'll, she'll believe it as this is, a, this is true. It's not what I have to do because dad said so. It's what I have to do because it's morally correct and it's true. And, and I just I think that is so important for us to recognize is that that, that, that sacred authority that you have as a parent is an authority that's been essentially delegated to you. It's not you're not the one that created the authority. You're not the one that created the rules. Your job is to shepherd them through that so that they understand it and recognize that it's true. And one of the most powerful impacts you can have in that moment is when you acknowledge to your child. Again, they need to do it respectfully, but you yeah. acknowledge your child, you're right and I'm wrong. You're right. That is the standard and I fell short of it and I appreciate you telling me about it. Well, that brings both 
hope and help to a dad, whether he's young or whether he's older, dealing with stress. And uh, I'm sure some of you men listening right now are drinking that in. And let let me kind of bring it to uh, the next level of when you really blown it. Now, I can speak to this with all uh, experience, both losing my temper in the house. I remember one time I just I lost my temper and decided to put my fist through the wall by the front door. And I did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I I remember, you know, you know, my family kind of going, holy smokes. My first thought was, Lord, thank you. There wasn't a, you know, two by four there. Uh, Yeah. Don't, uh, uh, that's a, and the second, as I'm wiping stuff off my fist, I just said, kids, that's not how, that's not a great example at all of a father. That's me losing my temper and deciding to punch something. That's, that is not a representation of your heavenly father because he never loses yeah. his temper like that. And I said, just, I don't want to make any of y'all scared. And I'm sorry. And I, yeah. please forgive me. I mean, I just owned it real quick. And dads, that's what you do. You own stuff. Because it's your pride that typically will get you. You know, and yeah. anger is a secondary emotion. Uh, and typically my anger comes out of protectiveness or, you know, control issues. But I remember my wife was like, well, we're just going to, I'll call the <laughs> the guy to have it fixed. Or <laughs> she was going to put a painting over it real quick. I said, you know what, babe? <laughs> Leave that there. She's like, honey, people come over. They're going to ask. I said, good, let them. Let them ask yeah. so I can own that for a season. Yeah. And uh, yeah. and I did. Uh, another time was losing my temper with my wife. And I just got back from Iraq. Uh, some of you can relate if you've been to the sandbox. You know, things aren't processing correctly. I'm still in the fight deal and can't sleep and all that nonsense and and i remember we we got into an argument we're parked on our property we get some land out here and i just you know i just hit a point where i just opened my door drew my weapon unloaded a magazine into a tree took a breath and got back in the car and eileen goes feel better i go yeah oddly i do yeah i'm yeah, and my wife's been with me thirty four years. Yeah, uh, she's like, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. But but guys, be careful about scaring your wives. Let yeah. Uh, and what I had to, what my wife learned is, just because it looks like I'm out of control, I'm not. Yeah. It's it, it. There's a big difference. Now, dudes, if you are out of control, you need to get you need to get a handle on that. But the, the way you release. Uh, make sure people aren't scared from it. And there's a fruit of the spirit called self-control that I go, Lord, that's apparent. I'm, I ain't got a, it's a bad fruit report right here. It's some, <laughs> I got some bruised fruit. Yeah. No, it, it's I remember, I think when I got back from, I think it was my first tour in 2006 um, uh, on the team when we were, when we were going out places, I, I rode the gun a lot. And you know the rules in Iraq, man, is like if a Humvee's going down the road, everyone else is supposed to get off the road. And uh, 
and there was plenty of times where people got a little bit close and, and they got a couple of 50 cal rounds off to the side of the road to remind them that, you know, they were not supposed to be there. The very first time I'm driving, when I get back, we fly into SeaTac oh airport, get oh home. Boy. I got my, <laughs> I got my wife, my mom <laughs> and my little Uh-oh. kids in the back of the car. And this guy cuts me off. Oh my. And, and before, before I oh could my. process that, some words flew out of my mouth that were yep. I was not speaking in tongues. I'll just put it that way. We, we, <laughs> we call it potty mouthing. Yeah, it was it was I was not speaking in tongues. Um and like I had and and by the time I finally like came back into focus, I was I, I was on the side of the road. I had gotten out of the car and I was yelling at the car. Yeah. As it yep. was driving away. And I got back in and Tina's like, You okay? I'm I was like, Yeah, I, yeah, I guess I, that was a bit of an overreaction. <laughs> And she goes, yeah, yeah, and I think it was. <laughs> and uh, I, and I, I, but I explained it to her, right? I didn't also just keep her in the dark about what was going on. I was like, well, babe, here's the deal, you know, o- over there, like that could mean, you know, somebody not obeying our commands or not doing the right thing, that could get you blown up. And so, you know, I, I'm still fresh in this mindset of this is how this is supposed to work in this situation, and now I'm reacclimating myself to the the rules <laughs> back home. Because uh, the rules are different, um, and, and, and yeah, yeah, and it is it is difficult at times. Uh, right now, Nick, I have a team over there, and uh, I was supposed to be on it, but we decided to have to stay and do some things. We have we have two teams uh, making a difference right now uh, over there, and I, I for guys. Well, first for those of you who don't understand, when he was on the gun. Humvee is a turret. Guys up in it on a 50 cal. He can hurt a lot of feelings, a lot of power at the on a trigger pull. <laughs> and uh, uh, I'll tell you, I got to say this about David. I just got to, folks, I'm talking to Nick like we would be hanging out at, you know, in our living room on the back porch. So we're doing a movement. It's the west side of Mosul. And uh, it's, it's retaking Mosul, right? We're embedded with the Iraqis. General Mustafa at the time, me and him are the only Americans. It's it's literally a two men team, and uh, we're we're uh, I think this was seventeen, uh, but we're going. We're in this Humvee. We're kind of crunched in, and they put a guy. The Rockies put a guy in the turret because it was there, and I'll never forget Dave looking at him. Dave goes, "You are fat. You're just <laughs> how do you even fit in there?" <laughs> Do we need to get you some Oreos? And Dave just kept dogging this guy. It's because we wanted one of my guys in there who was yeah. uh, who was uh, SF, and yeah. he was a uh, you know uh, Sergeant Weapons. Uh, yeah, Bravo. And, uh, yeah, eighteen Bravo. Yeah, yeah. So just like you, so and he was he's good on a gun. But what's funny uh, because I remember going, we're heading toward his village, and I'm I've got I've got some pretty good glass looking at something. I'm like, Hey man, there is a, I'm telling you, there's a vehicle that's pulled up and there were IEDs everywhere of V beds rather. And I was just yeah. going this, but this guy ended up being one heck of a shooter. Really? Unbelievable. Like Dave was like, <laughs> give, give the kid a 50 cal in a hot pocket. And right. <laughs> He's, he is just all about it. So we, we laughed our head off. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, guys, hey, if those of you who, you know, I struggle, have challenges from sleep, 
I'm going to tell you, contact me or go to mytriawellness.com. Mytriawellness.com. Uh, my wife and I developed a sleep aid. It's all natural. The best sleep aid I've ever, ever had. Because for me, three days of no sleep, I become mayor of Crazyville. And th- <laughs> things don't really work out. Uh, but this is all natural. Last night, I slept. You ready for this? I'm going to make some people jealous. At eight hours and 29 minutes because I have a timer. The night before, it was six hours, 40. But I'm sleeping between six and a half to seven and a half hours consistently. Uh-huh. And this is only in the last year. But we, we developed this product. So I'd love to get it in y'all's hands. Or you can just contact me at victormarks.com and say, hey, send me a link for that. It makes a difference because you can't substitute sleep. You can substitute a lot of other stuff. But not sleep. So, uh, Nick, what's next for you, man? What What do you? Uh, I I just saw your last video. You're living on the edge, man. You were, <laughs> you're looking at buying a cow. You're doing. We, some- we've got. Yeah, we. So I'm 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 still in the Virginia legislature. Um, so I, I serve I serve there in the state house, and then I, I still do some work on the security side, uh, the consulting side, for the most part. Yep. And then we have our we have our podcast, making the argument with. Um, uh, our team where we kind of go through a, a lot of different issues. Some of the stuff that we've talked about here today, some of it more political. Um, and, and the big goal on that was to try to equip people with like good sound, logical, empirical arguments. Um, we've also got another program we do called the why minutes. It's just these kind of like little three minute breakdowns of various issues where we have some sort of principle, but it's kind of like a neat story to illustrate the principle. Um, you know, so that keeps me really busy um, and then, yeah, on our, we've got 10 acres in central Virginia. We're trying to, we're trying to expand. We'd like to get some more, uh, we'd like to get some more land, but right now we got, we got our chickens, we got our goats. Um, we got nice. our dogs, our cats. We've had pigs before we've got peacocks because we're idiots. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and this year, this next year we, and we do our, like our gardening and whatnot, but this, this next year, I like I really just fell in love with like the homesteading community. Yeah, um, just so many really, really good people. Joel Salatin up here is, you know, I, I mean, a great guy, and he's in the Shenandoah Valley. And then, you know, got to That's meet some other people. But, oh yeah, got to meet some other people within the homesteading community, like you know, uh, Jess from Roots and Refuge, and got to meet the Rhodes family, and um, you know, John from Warrior Poets Society. So we we've been for a while. We've been kind of like increasing our like our own little output for our family. Nice. But this next year, this next year, that's our first year we're expanding into cattle, some beef cattle, um, probably get a dairy cow, um, and we'll probably do pigs again as well. And and part of the reason why we wanted to do it is it, I, I think it's fun. I like it. Um, I also like the idea of just – it goes back to – it's funny you say that word resilience because somebody was asking, like, well, what are you guys going to call yourselves? I'm like, I, I said, I don't know why, and maybe this is confirmation. I said, I keep thinking Fort Resilience Homestead. You know, I, nice. I want the resilience. I want the resilience like because that. it's a, it's about being able to take care. It's about being able to not only provide for my family, but also to provide for people like in our church. I'm I'm a big believer that so many of the problems that we're experiencing in the country uh, today, is because, you know, at, at around the turn of the century in the 1920s, it really started picking up. But at some point, we decided that we were going to render to Caesar things that didn't belong to Caesar. Right. And then the church was just going to be a place we went to on Sundays. And that's not what the church is. 
Uh, no. The church is supposed to be there as as an infrastructure, as the body of Christ, to be able to represent love, support, and that's that's spiritual, that's emotional, but that's also physical needs. It's meeting physical yep. needs. And you know, when we started to see issues with supply chain, when we started to see issues with with inflation and everything else, I was like, you know, it, it's it's not that I want to like depart from society or anything like that, right? But I also don't want to be totally dependent on things that are completely outside of our control. If if our if we have people within our church, if we have people within our small group that are ever in a position where they need help, I want to know that we have the capacity and the know how to be able to help provide for some of those basic necessities, and and I think it's just it, it teaches great lessons for your kids to to take care of animals. So yeah, this this next year we're we're up in our game. <laughs> nice. <laughs> On, uh, I I, I w- it would be very bold to call it a homestead, but we'll just say at this point we we got our little you know we're we're. The goal next year is to hopefully come out of next year where we've kind of cut out the grocery store by about like fifty to seventy percent. Awesome. And then and then to to be able to you know be able to help other people that are interested in doing the same thing. And like I said, that I love the community. Um, I, I've you've seen I've seen so many people in there. What I love the most about them is they are um, they're excited to show you how to do it. They're honest right. about their own failures right. uh, when it comes to it, and and it's it's just great. That you mentioned a pig twice, and and uh, you referenced you used to have a pig. Does that mean you have bacon, or did he just get loose and run away? Oh no no no! We we had not only did we have bacon, uh, we had something <laughs> that I might I might I might market one day. Um, we called it steakin. So what Ooh. we did <laughs> is when we Whoa. when we took the uh, when we took the pig to uh, to get processed and everything. They, uh, you said, yeah, hey, we want thick cut bacon, so they cut up all the. Well, they had one piece that they forgot to cut up, and so we're we're looking at this in our freezer, like, what is this? It's like, well, this is just one big, you know. I'm like, oh, that's that's steakin, and I, oh, I remember nice. I think the kids kids were like with grandparents or something like that, and my wife looks at me, she goes, what What do you want? You want me to cut it up? I'm like, no, 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 no. let's just let's just prepare that. <laughs> I love that. And it was, oh my gosh, it was good. It was good. Well, and, and yeah. folks listening, uh, you don't have to have a bunch of acreage to, to, to provide even some basic things. You can do something inside your house. There's high, you know, hydroponics um, uh, for people living in the city. And I would say this, because I, I, you know, what you're hearing is not a prepper. It's someone who's prepared. So you don't have to mm-hmm. be paranoid. And, yeah. uh, and there are extremists. I, I had a pastor that lives by me and when Antifa and all that was happening, you know, he's, he's kind of a scaredy cat dude. And he was <laughs> like, Hey Victor, I got a thousand rounds. You know, if they come into where we live, you know, is that enough? And I was like, uh, pastor man, what do you, how many people you want to kill? Yeah. And I, I go, I just can't. We have a house in Iraq. We've lived the apocalypse. Yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> miles from ISIS, trenches around. Life goes on, and and people yeah. need to understand that life goes on because people will go, "Hey, I got some pigs, and I'm going to sell some at Mark. I've got some tomatoes." Uh, uh, you'll be amazed that if things get really bad, how conscientious yeah. and helpful people are. Yeah, I, you know. I, I'm an EMT. I can help. Uh, so, but yeah, any type of preparedness, and we would always recommend try to prepare for a few weeks to a few yeah. months. That if there was a disruption in our system, you'd be good. 
And as a Christian, I would just say this. Don't be like this pastor friend of mine who's like, I, you know, I'm hoarding everything. And anybody that comes around, I don't forget, I call his attention when I said, hey, pastor man, why don't you just, uh, if someone was trying to, if they were trying to mob your house, just shoot one person and let them stay in your yard for a while. I said, that smell oh will be, am I being, at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like, oh. I said, trust me. Well, when well, somebody I, swells up, it'll turn people away. I was, I was telling, you know, someone was asking me because they were, they were kind of, they were kind of teasing me that, um, you know, I'm sitting here like, you know, back in the day, it was like, oh yeah, jumping out of planes and you know, you know, doing explosive breaches on CQB houses and stuff like that. And now I'm like, look at, look at how well my tomatoes are doing. <laughs> and uh, one of the things that one of the things I I tell people, and I'll, and I'll tell fellow vet, fellow vets this too. There, there is something like really like peaceful and therapeutic oh, so about true. about doing this, whether it's going down and like feeding the goats or um, yes. like I, I I'll go out there and I'll let the I'll let the goats out and I'll let them kind of free range a little bit or I'll do the same thing with the chickens and chickens are hysterical to watch. So many of our like modern colloquialisms come from chickens it's and you, you see it. Yeah, you see them. But going out there and like tending a garden. I mean, let's face it. That was the first job God gave to man was tending yep. a garden. Yeah. And, and there, there is something about that process of facilitating growth um, and then being able to use that growth to teach your kids, to be able to use that to feed your family. Um, not to mention the fact that there's all these other ancillary benefits, right? Like it, it, it tastes better. I think, I mean, the yeah. eggs from our chickens, I, I love them. And then, you know, we have one of my daughters, one of my daughters has an autoimmune disease. Yep. And and so like we had to go through that whole process of figuring out, okay, which foods. And a lot of times it's, you know, it's this, you know, garbage preservative stuff, yep. which, yep. you know, look, it serves a purpose, right? Not all of it's bad. Right. But that doesn't mean it's all healthy. Yes. And, and so going through the process of being able to identify things and be able to provide for that and, and, you know, being in a position where it's like, okay, you know, there, there's going to be something we can provide for our daughter, um, that, that we know is going to be good for, um, so and for cool. all our kids. So, yeah, I, I think there, there's a lot of, but like you said, you know, we got 10 acres you can do a lot with 10 acres, but man, you don't need 10 acres to do a right. lot. Um, there is so much you can do and, and started chickens are a great place to start. We always joke. That's the gateway drug to livestock <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and just gardening, man, you'll be surprised at the amount of food that you can produce in a relatively small area with a little bit of, you know, just attention to detail. Yeah, I've we, we we've got a little place out here, a little ranch, and uh, we're we're very fortunate. Uh, and I mean, to 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 watch elk or deer walk on the place, you know, you just go, my goodness. And then there was a very wicked squirrel. I mean, he was like killing, beating up other squirrels and choking <laughs> birds. So my daughter shot him. Um, and it was, <laughs> uh, yeah, this, this be the tyrant squirrels. <laughs> yes. I go, honey, you just saved a lot of little animals who would have been murdered by this bad guy. Uh, so yeah, uh, folks, again, I talking to vets or anybody in high stress jobs. One of the things few people talk about is the decompression needed, uh, and I speak to myself, I'm thinking to myself about this too, you know, it's a, it's a type of purification process uh, when you come out of stressful things and you got to have something. 
you you got to have something. And really, gardening is is pretty amazing. Uh, brother, I've I've really enjoyed this time and and uh, and getting to know you, and becoming friends, and realizing we've got mutual friends. Yeah. Um, I have two questions I ask all my guests. Um, there's no wrong answers uh, in that it's yours. But the first one's based on perception uh, and because people make observations and decisions based on perceptions. But what is your perception of me and what I do? So I, I would say my, my, my perception and understanding of what you do um, has to do with utilizing the skills that you have uh, in order to protect people the desperately need protection that God has put on your heart in order to do so. And then to also be able to provide mentorship uh, for other people, not only the ones that are interested in that same field or maybe feel a call into that same field, but just kind of this, this general purpose with respect to what does godly masculinity, what does godly responsibility mm. look like? And, and part of that, I would say my other part of the perception of you on that is also being honest with your successes, honest with your failures and honest with your past. Um, and I think that's really, I think that's the reason why I bring that up is kind of like to, to wrap all that up. Um, there's a whole lot of, and you on social media, you see this all the time. There's a whole lot of this like fake machismo. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's that's what a lot of people are are rebelling against, and and unfortunately, yeah. what they've done is they've they've taken that fake machismo and they've turned that into masculinity. That isn't masculinity. Yeah. And so I, I see you as as you know helping to provide guidance in that field while at the same time being authentic about it. Mm. And that authenticity is really really important because I think people can see right through it when it's something else, or they can see right through it when you're motivated by something else. Um, so that, that would be, that would be my perception. Thank you. But I know I could get to know you and find out you're a real jerk. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and I wouldn't rule that out. Uh, I mean, you are a Marine. Yeah. I stood in the wrong line, but they had those little crayons. Uh, you, you know, I, uh, a little factoid is, uh, I used to work for Dr. James Dobson. Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah. And I was his assistant to him. Yeah. And he, be, so he was my boss who became my mentor, who became a friend. And wow. actually him and his bride were out here at our training center. And my wife was teaching Shirley how to shoot. Uh, and then I got, I got docked behind a, a weapon. He hadn't shot in a while. And he was, we, we tapped into that masculinity. And uh, <laughs> yeah. so it, it does matter to hear from and see, I call role models but more importantly, real models. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, there is a benefit to social media for people to, to take little nuggets away uh, from folks. I think people, when they go to your Instagram or your social medias and see your uh, short pontification on issues, which are a cup <laughs> of coffee, it brings yeah. sanity. Do you know that? I don't know if anybody's ever told you that, but in, a, in a, just a chaotic and crazy world, it, 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 your 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 little sarcastic wisdom it brings sanity to people for a moment. It's just it's like okay, I'm not crazy. He is making sense. It, it, I, I am thinking right. Uh, so thanks for what you do. Last question. 
you and I have been around death, uh, and everybody will die. So this is the last question I ask all of my guests, and that is, uh, and I uh, I did a podcast earlier with a young man, and I asked him this question. That was actually a funny, pretty good podcast because he's left leaning. Uh, his Instagram is New Evangelicals, and he's you know I call him a whiner, and you know he he doesn't <laughs> understand. He voted for Biden, and it was just really yeah. great. And I just got to tell you this to get a chuckle. This is how we started off the deal. I said, hey, before we. I just want to ask him, we're recording. It's actually on the podcast. People see it. I pull out a bag and I go, I'm going to find out if these things trigger you, young man. And I pull out a cap with a flag. He goes, nope, I'm not triggered too much. So how about this? And then it's a, you know, Leonidas with stars and stripes. And he's like, actually, I'm Greek, so I like it. I said, oh. And then I unzip my jacket and I've got full kit on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, literally. Uh, Look at here. I got full kit and uh, body armor, and I pull out some mags. I go, these are bullets. And he goes, he goes, oh. and then I pull out a shotgun. But, yeah. uh, folks, you ought to check that podcast out. That, that, it ended up being a fascinating, great, great uh, dialogue with differing views but some commonalities that was, it was really good. But I asked him and I'll ask you what happens to Nick when you die, when you close your eyes get, for the last time. Yeah. I, I get, I get to be with Christ. Not because of anything, not because ultimately of anything I did, but because of the sacrifice that he made and my acceptance of it. And so I, I can, I can say that with absolute certainty and I can also say it with absolute humility Mm. Um, because I, and I, and I think that's important. Um, there, there's this idea. I think sometimes there can be an arrogance in the way that we discuss that. Yeah. And it can come across with our assurance, but like, I cannot, I cannot emphasize that part enough is, is it's, it's the absolute humility of that because it is completely undeserved. It is completely undeserved. And, And I think that when you, when you recognize that as the truth, and I and I I do a lot of work in Christian apologetics. I think it's very important to be able to make a good, uh, logical, empirical um, argument for for my faith. Um, but it really does when when you get hit in the face with the reality that you are going to be able to experience that uh, when you die, not because of anything you did, but because of the sacrifice that was made. Because he so desperately wanted to be able to have that relationship. Um, it it changes the way you look at the world. It changes the way that you look at other people. And believe me, there are, there are plenty of times where I, I still mess this up. Um, but one of my, one of my favorite verses is uh, Peter three fifteen. 15 um, first sanctify Christ in your heart and always be prepared to give a response for the hope that is in you, but to do so with gentleness and respect. And there's times where I screw up on the gentleness and respect, <laughs> mm. <laughs> but um, and you both. Yeah, that's, that's, that's where I'll be. And uh, again, I just I say that with complete humility. Um, yeah, love that. I the the young man who was on here. Um, when I asked him the question, he said, "I don't know." Hmm. And he was homeschooled 
raised in an evangelical church, became a youth pastor, did, I think, worship. But he was so hurt by the church, by men in leadership not being accountable for certain abuses and different things. And Nick, there's a large group of young people that fall into that. And a lot of it's based on the arrogance that some people in ministry and what dehumanizing people not love and and uh my heart breaks because he said i think we either all live together in harmony and reign with christ or we just die and don't exist any longer but he said i don't believe in a literal hell and i never try to change people's opinions even though i know the truth unless i'm asked and i i told him as you know and i tell folks spending so much time around Muslims, you know, Muslims that asked me, and I remember an ISIS fighter just been captured. Uh, we were in Mosul and it was all happening pretty quick. And I got to spend some time with them. And, um, and I, I remember saying, do you know what's going to happen when you die? And he's like, inshallah, inshallah. And I, and I said, do you, can I share with you my assurance of salvation, what I have as assurance. He said, yes. And and I was able to share that with him. And, and I told him, you know, before, you're, before the lights go out, you should call out to Jesus because he can give you that assurance. But I appreciate how you added that because I, I get guys on here and women, and everybody has their own point. I, I interview everybody. Because I it's I love doing this, and uh, it's the humility and love because it's it that really is it. It's so undeserving. How do we deserve salvation? How can Christians be arrogant about something that has you know it's it's by grace we're saved, you know by faith, lest any man should boast. And um, I, I'm I'm thankful. We have like beliefs, and we'll be able to be in the presence of Christ. Hey, if you're out there listening right now, watching, you may say, "Dang, I don't, I don't have that assurance that y'all are talking about." Y'all both really act like you believe it. It's because we do, um, and we'd like to just tell you, you can have that assurance by, you know, I think it's sin that separates us from God. It's our own will, but. Jesus, he, he's reconciled us to the Father. And if you, how would you say it, Nick? How would you tell somebody that they can actually have a relationship with God through Christ or have that level of assurance? What would you tell them? You know, I, I think, um, I, I definitely believe that, that my faith is not just an intellectual conviction. It's also a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting. A lot of the people that I talk to, like you said, they, they have hurt. They have feelings of they've been betrayed. It doesn't make sense to them. And, you know, I, I usually start with this idea that I, I think people sometimes have this expectation that, well, why didn't God just create something that was perfect and easy and wonderful and we're all happy? And it's like, well, he yeah. did. It was called the garden. <laughs> yeah. um, the difference was is that there's only one sort of reality where, where love and justice can exist. And it's the sort of reality where you have the choice to choose the opposite. And I 
I like the concepts of, of love and justice. But when somebody runs afoul of justice, when they break the law, there is punishment, there's consequences. That, because if there isn't, then there's no justice. So how right. do you overcome it? Well, the way God overcame it was through Christ. And, and sometimes I think it looks to us as if, well, wh- why couldn't he have done it a different way? Well, because the moment he does it a different way, there's no justice because now we got away with it, right? Mm. Um, the, the moment he just lets us go, well, there's no love now. There's no sacrifice associated with that. It, it just, <laughs> like we can see it in our personal lives when somebody loves you so much that they're willing to tell you the truth, but they're also willing to sacrifice them. They're also willing to sacrifice something in order to save you. There is something in that moment that clicks with us that we just understand that in that moment, I was truly loved, not because of something I, I did. I was truly loved. But by the same token, justice wasn't sacrificed in order to experience that love. And, it, and if, you can, if you can kind of understand that in the microcosm of the experiences that we sometimes have, and then you can understand how Christ coming, Christ living a perfect life, Christ sacrificing himself in order to facilitate that reconciliation, that is the method that provides both that love and that justice. It leaves them both perfectly intact. And then it's the realization that, man, but he didn't have to do it. And he, and he did it anyways because of that desire for relationship. And, and so coming to grips with that, sometimes, sometimes the door is, is through an intellectual one in order to get the relationship. Sometimes it's just having that, that impact or that moment or something that happens in your life that ex- exposes you to it. And then, but that's, that's what I would try to tell somebody is that this isn't just hocus pocus, right? This isn't wish fulfillment. Right. This isn't this isn't Santa Claus or Sky Daddy or any of the other pejoratives that are used. When we look at human experience, this this makes sense. And I, I you know, I really, I, I was I was raised a Christian, but it really was not active in my life for a long time. And it was it was somebody it was another Green Beret who I respected as an operator who I respected as, as a man um, who started to, to really, you know, get to the, get to the root and the foundation of some of these issues, some of these questions that I had and explaining it to a point where man, when it clicked and you understood it, um, it it's just, it's an absolute game changer. But the one thing I can tell you is that it, it makes sense. Mm. Um, mm. And, and I don't, I don't know why I keep hammering on that point right now, but, because there's somebody that needs to hear that. Uh, there's someone that's listening that just needs it to make sense. So let, let me just say a little prayer because I believe prayer works in ways I don't even understand it. But God, you know the person listening or watching right now desires a relationship with you. We, we know it's not a magical, it's no magical words, but Lord, you say if we seek you with our heart, you'll we'll find you. And Lord, you you draw them into yourself, and you're not willing that any should perish, but have everlasting life. And I pray for that person or people right now; uh, they would just call out to you. That you'd make yourself real. That you would, um, Lord, let them know how much they're loved, and let them not believe the lies of the enemy any longer or things they told themselves. And I pray, God, that you would touch them in a way that is so profound that they would know you're real, and they would grow both intellectually in their faith, but also experientially, knowing that you're there with them. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Well, folks, listen, um, you've listened to my guest today, Nick, and many of you are intrigued. I know, Nick, what's the best way folks can follow you or go to a website to learn more, or get on your podcast? Oh, I, I appreciate it. We have our, our podcast is making the argument. If if people are on social media, we're on we're on all the platforms. We're on Facebook and Twitter and, and Instagram and YouTube and everything else. They can just type in Nick Freitas or they can type in making the argument. And uh, we provide a link tree uh, in our Instagram. Good. So if people want to see all the different platforms that we're on, they can just click on that and that'll take them to whatever <laughs> whatever venue they, they prefer. Fantastic. Uh, uh Folks, wherever you are and whatever you're doing, you know, I always say, do it for the glory of God. And there's such satisfaction in that. And do it full throttle. That's your place on this earth for a reason. And God loves you. We love you too. Now, go get it done. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. We'd love to stay connected with you and invite you to the conversation beyond this podcast. You can check out more of the work we're doing around the world at victormarks.com, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all linked in the show notes. Be sure to drop us a comment in the review section if today's show has impacted you in any way or if there's anything you'd like to hear more of. We're always encouraged to hear from you. Thanks for spending your time with us. Until next time. Thank you.